Welcome to the Imagination Redeemed podcast, where we explore our role in the great story and the ideas that connect our stories to it. I'm Brian Brown, and today I'm here in my office with Leslie Bustard, who's one of the contributing writers to our Why We Create series this year, as well as the storyteller for our Tolkien Pub Night last month. And we're going to talk about the role of gratitude in helping us figure out what to do with the time that is given to us. Now, if you're just joining us, a little backstory. Uh, The Anselm Society's focus in the month of June is a theology of time. And in fact, the question of what to do with the time that is given to us will be the theme of our Imagination Redeemed conference at the end of September. Depending on when we release this episode, tickets will either be on sale by the time you listen to this or be about to be on sale. So head over to imaginationredeemed.com to sign up. Okay, so Leslie is a writer for The Cultivating Project. She's the host of The Square Halo, a podcast for Square Halo Books, and is the editor most recently of the delightful new book, Wild Things and Castles in the Sky, a guide to choosing the best books for children. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you. I'm so very glad to be here. It's been so awesome having you in in Colorado Springs for a few days. We asked you to write the, the essay on gratitude um, because this this project, this ongoing thing we're doing this year and the book that it's all adding up to um, is something where we want to be able to pull together both theology and ideas, great truths, but kind of distilled down into uh, real life experiences and, and the, the really practical questions that those those big ideas are designed to help us navigate. Um, so just let's just, as a way of introducing you to members of the audience that might not be familiar with you yet, tell me a little bit about your personal journey with regard to gratitude. Sure. Um, when I think about my personal journey, thinking about what it means to be grateful or to have uh, a deep well of gratitude, really what comes to my mind right now is that for the past almost two and a half years, I've had cancer and I've had uh, stage four melanoma and stage two breast cancer. And that's not been at all an easy journey. Um, But along the way, as I was seeking to really very soon after I found out I had cancer, I said to the Lord, I said, I really want to know what Psalm 23 now means. I've always loved Psalm 23. The last verse about goodness and mercy following us has always been something that's played within my imagination and has helped me rest in the Lord. Sometimes I don't know what that looks like, you know, goodness and mercy. But taking that verse and then going backwards through the Psalm, um, I wanted that to be real for me. If he was going to call me to walk through cancer and if he was going to call my family to walk through cancer, I wanted to know what it meant to be sustained by him and to see even the good things in well what which in in what is like a death sentence depending on what happens and only he knows what's ahead in the future. And I felt like in his kindness he started showing that to me right away. Mm. And There was something within my mind and my spirit that was starting to say, 
I need to have eyes to see what he's doing. And this was something that um, our partner, Diana Bauer, with our Square Halo books, she had said to me more than a decade ago, um, before we even knew what this part of our life journey would be, we were homeschoolers and the work of being a homeschooling mom and a homeschooling family is big. And, and I went through roller coasters of trusting, of enjoying the creativity of it, and feeling lots of anxiety and feeling like I had these big desires of who I wanted us to be and what we were going to do. And, you know, my kids were under 10 and then they're, or like in, you know, the middle school grades. And Diana said, you need to keep being honest with the Lord about your anxiety and ask him to relieve it. But at the same time, you need to ask him, how, how are you? relieving this anxiety. And basically, I felt like as we kept talking about it, I realized that it's so easy for us to say, this is how I want my problem fixed. I want my life to look like this. Even if I'm pursuing things that are of God, you know, even if I'm pursuing, I want my life to be formed by God's ways. The world is broken and messy and that even the good intentions are not always going to happen the way you want them to. And you are going to struggle with lots. There's going to be mess and and anxiety or anger or fear. And so we're going to, those are the ways that we turn our eyes around to fix our eyes on him. And so I felt like I was learning that I had to let go of what my expectations were because a lot of my anxieties were, he wasn't answering what I thought our life should look like. I wasn't entering into maybe what he was doing. Um, And so I started to pray that. I started to pray, help me to have eyes to see what you're doing so I can be grateful for what you're doing. And as I learned that discipline, um, to be honest in my struggle, but to say, I want to have eyes to see what you're doing, that was one of those things that started to create um, more of what it meant to be a person who was trying to be one of have gratitude, walk in gratefulness, not a, I'm thankful that my dishwasher worked today, or I'm thankful that my kids woke up at the right time. But like this deep embeddedness of God is for me, even when things are hard and I'm going to see how he's for me. So when cancer happened, though, I already had those things rolling around in me, but it needed to grow and it, and and God is kind because he did for our, for me and our family, even though our family did struggle a lot with each other within the cancer journey we were walking in and within themselves, I felt for myself that I didn't want to be in this. I didn't want my family to walk through this, but I knew that somehow he was going to sustain us. So I that's when the gratitude started to grow even deeper. Because I, I, even in small things, like one of my favorite John things in the Gospel of John is when Jesus says, you know, I am the bread of life. But um, when, I, when I found out I had cancer, all I wanted to do was eat toast. I wanted like thick, like homemade farm-like toast. But at the same time, to be very vulnerable, I had just lost a lot of weight and I had cut back on that type of food. Like I had made sure that that was just a special thing. Not that bread was out of the picture, but it was not. So I felt very like, oh, 
all I want to do is eat bread. <laughs> and then, then all of my friends who found out all I wanted to do is eat bread, oh, no. they sent me bread all oh, the no. time so that I had to put it in the freezer. And I laid it out on my kitchen table. And at first I was like, well, I, I believe in the goodness of bread, but I had not <laughs> been eating as much bread as I had, you know, as one would like in their life. And all of a sudden I felt inside of me, the Lord reminding me, I am the bread of life. And I went, and here's a picture of it. And so what could I not be but grateful that he was giving me this picture of his care for me in this tangibleness of cinnamon rolls and scones and a homemade farm thick bread, you know? And then people were also giving me lovely homemade jellies. And so those are like the ordinary ways that I felt like I was learning that I could flail and I could be angry, which I know other people have, and God works through that. But I didn't enter into this cancer journey that way. I entered asking the Lord to help me see how Psalm 23 was going to be real. And then then very soon after that, COVID started, and that was the pandemic. And there's lots of good stories about how He cared for us through that. There's stories also about how the meds really hurt my body, like a lot of cancer meds do. So I started doing a lot of walking outside once I was able to walk, because for a while I really couldn't walk because of the meds. And that's when I learned to be, learned more, because I've always loved it, but when life is busy homeschooling or, or teaching out of school, you don't get to contemplate as deeply, at least I didn't, as right. deeply can as I, I, I want to. Can I squeeze in a walk? Exactly. Yeah. Now I was walking there for very long because there wasn't a lot to do, and I needed to walk to keep my joints moving. And um, I, I, we live in a cute city, Lancaster City, and um, I learned to see more in ways I hadn't before. And I learned to be so grateful for everything I saw and heard and smelled and felt, um, the goodness of the grass under your feet. I had never really noticed, which makes me feel a little sad, that when you look at a tree and the leaves are green and the sun is shining through that tree, that there are like shadows of the of the leaves above the leaves below. And you could see like, I don't even know how to explain it, but it was delightful, you know, and, and those are the things that started that grew more gratitude for me. And so I felt like the Lord was sustaining me. So that's a little bit of, I'm very grateful. And I walk in gratitude that I don't have tumors right now. So I, I look forward to, as in not looking forward to in a happy way, but looking ahead, I don't know how long that will be, but this moment is good and I'm gonna live it. And I'm gonna live it well because it's a good moment without tumors. So. Mm -hmm. There's a couple ideas that I'm, I'm are bouncing around my head as I am listening to this because um, one of the things that, that Matthew Clark likes to talk about is the importance of paying attention, which I'm hearing from you in the last few minutes, just the things that you're noticing. And, um, and, and Jane Charles in her essay on time for this Why We Create project talks a lot about the present as as a, as our vehicle for entering into eternity or entering mm. into 
past and future and all the things that transcend it, right? Because the only time you can love, for example, is now. Yes. That's what we have. And, and, and yet, I'm also hearing, one of the challenges with gratitude, right, is that as soon as someone starts talking about the virtues of gratitude, there's kind of two places your brain can go. One is, and the, at, at the abstract level, Yes, gratitude is good. I know this. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard anything new. Great. Gratitude. Mm-hmm. You can stop. Or, this is why we have Thanksgiving. Right. Um, and and uh, or I see this with my kids, right? We, we always thank God for things during our evening prayers before bed. And it's, you know, it's like pulling teeth sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> but... Uh, the other place that are, are that my mind can often go, because I'm terrible with gratitude, is um, the 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 challenge of hearing a story like yours and and you know, wow, I don't know if I could be grateful in your shoes. And the interesting thing is, the practical thing that that I turn to from that is, well, I I, I hope I can learn to see the world the way you were describing in the last five minutes. And I hope I don't have to get cancer to do it. Right. Right. Because. So the, that practical question of, mm-hmm. okay, short of imminent catastrophe, mm-hmm. how can I, is it possible to learn this power? Yes, exactly. Um, right. Right. And, and, and the, the interesting thing though, is that while not all of us are going through something terrible right now, all of us have gone through something terrible at some point. Exactly. And you see a lot of this. I see a lot of this, even on, even on, Instagram and in just casual conversations that that I have with people, there is a temptation to take something traumatic, something terrible that has happened to you in the past and allow it to define you Mm. in the present. True. Either through um, bitterness or Mm. through the the way that you let it um, kind of light a fire under you and and, and your priorities. And that that can be done in a a constructive way. But I, I find that Usually it isn't. Or it's not sustainable. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think there's, there's a difference between mm-hmm. the terrible thing defining you and taking the terrible thing to God mm-hmm. and saying, sanctify me. Yes. What, what, what does that look like for you? Is there, what's that mm-hmm. connection point between gratitude and, and that, that, that question, that, that request for sanctification? I think it started, well, the couple of things that do jump to my mind as I think about what you're saying is it is easy. It was easy for me, especially as I talked about earlier about the anxiety. Um, goodness, I want to, there's two things that are rolling around in my brain. I'll start with this one story. How do you learn to walk in gratitude as not the superficial gratitude of, or maybe superficial is not the right word, but the easy things to be thankful for. Mm -hmm. And how do you dig it deeper, a a deeper well? I think for me, it it was working through a couple issues that were wrapped up with anxiety and worry and how one, so for me, and I don't remember the year that this started, but it was as a homeschooling mom of three. And I would wake up immediately with a list of things to do or worries. And eventually I might have devotions, whether it was with the girls or later on, whenever I could get it in. And then I don't remember where I read this, 
and I probably don't have the quote correctly, but I think it was C.S. Lewis. And he spoke about something about waking up in the morning and how we, it's like when we wake up in the morning and thoughts come to our minds and it's like a rush of horses coming towards us. And it's almost like we have to stop that rush of horses coming towards us. And for me, it was the worries and the to-do list. And it kept me from entering into my day as if I was walking into the day that God had given me and that he was with me and for me during that day. And so I started, and so the Book of Common Prayer, which was a gift that Ned had given to me when we had gotten in, gotten engaged and it had been very formative in my prayer life, I started memorizing or had already memorized the beginning of of the morning prayer of the Lord is in this holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And there's a few more. And then I've probably added more. And so I started trying to create the spiritual discipline of fixing my eyes on the Lord through reciting all of those things. I'm still in bed. My eyes are still closed. Or maybe I'm, you know, my feet are hanging off the side of the bed and I'm sitting up. But that's what I started reciting in my mind. And it's almost always the same thing still because it's such a lovely, like, it's such a lovely ritual that I go through. It is definitely on repeat. And it has been freeing for me because it's taught me to keep from starting my day with everything I need to get done. Because I do need to think about the things that need to get done, but I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. I need to even start the day resting in 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 Him and worshiping. And so even though that word might not be specifically gratitude, it is realigning my mind, realigning my heart towards the Lord. And that's been one thing that's been very helpful for me. And then the other thing, again, getting back to paying attention, I have always leaned towards and loved seeking after beauty. And so I've, whether it's an artwork, whether it's in nature, I couldn't tell you the names of flowers. I always have to have my friends who are like, uh, like, professional gardeners come and remind me what's in my, and even though I've written them down, I always lose that piece of paper. I know, this, so is, like, this is me too, our, our own garden. They're like, oh, Christina, the, 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 the thing is doing so well. Right, exactly. <laughs> what is that? Um, but I do really love flowers and trees and birdsong and um, paintings and music. And I also, um, I really love words. I really love how words are put together. You know, that's, that like my kids, I would read books to them and then I would stop and I'd be like, let's reread that sentence, you know? So that was a habit of my mind and my heart um, for a long, long time. And so I think for me, as I entered into this journey with cancer, seeking after beauty, and it could be quiet beauty, it could be you know, the mountains are beautiful. That was something I was already trying to be a part of me in my days. And that helped me enter into seeing it as I entered into cancer and as I entered into the cancer journey. So when we found out that I had melanoma, so we found out I had breast cancer first and then that I had the melanoma. And we didn't know everything about the melanoma, but when you hear melanoma, at least for us, not knowing a lot of things, we're like, 
oh, this is a quicker death sentence. That's just what Ned had looked up, even though we had said to each other, we're not going to look up things on the internet. That was one thing he did look up. Um, so that day, it was a Sunday that we had found out and we hadn't talked to, we hadn't had in a, like a sitting down in an office with the doctor to talk about things. It was just over the phone. So we asked our partners to come up to Lancaster that day and be with us because we were just so sad. And they took us out to dinner because that's what we all love to do at Square Halo is eat good food. And we, um, Diana looked at me and she said, you are one of the only people I know who like, purposely seeks after beauty and sees it so much and in ways I don't see it. Now you're entering into this hard thing that points you towards death and suffering. Are you going to be able to see beauty and will you be able to share it with people? I thought she meant like, are you going to keep doing the thing you've always been able to do? She was really asking, are you going to be able to see beauty in the darkness? And so I misunderstood in one way, but it did feel like a call to say, as you're entering into this hard thing that no one really wants to have, will you let go of those things you've already cultivated in you? Will you be able to still see beauty? And as you're suffering, will you be able to share it? And again, that doesn't feel like it's the dots don't seem as direct but towards gratitude, but that is what cultivated gratitude in me. So like a little example is I'd go to the, the cancer center, which thankfully was only 10 minutes away from our house. Like everywhere I needed to go, it was 10 minutes, which is lovely. And it's a building that's new, but it was purposefully designed to always have light, like outside light coming in. And it had original artwork throughout the whole place. So everywhere I was, I was, except in a couple of the rooms, almost everywhere I was, there was natural light and there was original artwork. Well, I just felt, I was honestly, I don't mean to sound like a cliche. I was always thankful. And so I was always like, okay, let's look at this painting today. And that was very good for my heart and my soul. So I heard in the, in the last few minutes, a lot of, a lot of positive uses of repetition, both things mm -hmm. that, that you've done intentionally and things that you've, that have just happened that you've taken advantage of. It seems to me that one of the, one of the hardest contexts in which to practice gratitude that's more ordinary is, is in situations of unwanted repetition, monotony, mm -hmm. um, because we, we, we put so much on ourselves in terms of what it takes for us to think our lives matter. Oh, sure. Right. And, and so, oh, I want to write that great book. Mm -hmm. I want to be remembered. I want to touch tons of lives or whatever the thing is. And in the face of that, this is the third time today I've had to do dishes or insert struggle with mm -hmm. child or, Gosh, for me, sometimes it's just the first couple hours of my day and the sheer number of things I don't want to do yes. that stand between me and starting what I do want to do that exactly. day. Ah, the dishwasher, emptying it takes five minutes and I hate those five minutes today. Yes. So <laughs> what what does it look like? Like, do you use this intentional positive repetition to kind of fight against the negative mm. repetition? Are they totally unrelated? Mm -hmm. Is it more about kind of bringing eternity into that that? that hard moment? Hmm. Let's see. It, maybe it depends on um, 
how much sleep I've gotten the mm-hmm. night before or uh, have I exercised or, but there's, there's a few things that I think have helped me because I do understand and I have struggled with from the beginning of when Ned and I, or even, even younger. I mean, I grew up in the eighties, you know, and was drawn towards pop culture and celebrity culture as a young person, even though at the same time I was drawn towards reading Brideshead Revisited or, you know, there was that I was, it was definitely a lot of different things that I was drawn towards. So you, you grow up and you think, especially maybe either where I grew up or just, it's just a stated fact, especially now is people can get famous through things like TikTok or something. That being a celebrity or being known in bigger ways is what is either success or for some people, for Christians, it's how God blesses us, right? That we're known by the outside world. And and for me, being married to an artist, when we were very early married, I was like, what does... And Ned, too. And we were looking at it at different ways. He as himself and me as his wife. What does success look like when you're married to an artist? And success looked like bigger things. And not that that has to be bad if your name is known. But it felt like, how are we ever going to be successful if you don't know how to, like, get into the right circles or make enough money or something? And I felt, and God really, and this will get to monotony and stuff soon. Um, He started to help us see that ordinary life is good. Like if Jesus became a human and was a carpenter and lived with fishermen, like ordinary life is a good thing. And, And I think in some ways, the glories of creation, which is very glorious, was creating ordinary that we sometimes have a hard time realizing that it's ordinary, like because because creation is wonderful, but the Lord was setting out a beautiful ordinariness for his people in his image to move forth and make more. But it wasn't like it needed to everything making more had to be over the top, you know, the way we think of it needing right. to be. And so I needed to learn that. And so I learned that through people who've become friends of ours, Margie and Dennis Hack. They have a an, uh, a ministry or had what they retired called Ransom Fellowship. And they wanted to encourage people to be discerning thinkers and viewers and lovers of culture and their neighbors. And, and they, God really used them in our life. And Dennis had an essay called uh, A Stick Becomes a Staff of God. And the whole thing was just encouraging people to see that our ordinary life is is can be good, even the, the mon- monotony of it. And so I, I haven't really answered your question 100%, but I learned, I Again, that it became a spiritual discipline with the help of Brother Lawrence as well, you know, practicing the presence of God. How can I make those monotonous, those things that feel monotonous, like doing the dishes, how can I enter into them in a way that is more life-giving for myself or for my family? And it's not that I did it all the time, but I, I did see, because I could see where my heart easily would go to, which is, this is awful and boring, and I do want to do those other things. But um, when you're also, for me, homeschooling and teaching things like grammar, that could also be monotonous when really, can we just read poetry or go take a walk in the woods? Um, So I don't think I've 100% really answered your question. No, but you've danced all over it in a a very instructive way. 
I like ritual. Ned mm-hmm. would tease me and say that really what I like are ruts. And I'm like, no, I just <laughs> like ritual. Um, so I am someone who does like, sometimes I like things that are repetitious because it feels comfortable and safe. Like I will make my bed every day. Um, because I like that feeling of I'm starting my day, making my bed, putting my pillows here, straightening things off, and then I can move to the next part. Um, so, I mean, I'm drawing connections between what you're saying and some earlier conversations that we've had in our Why We Create series, because we've spent uh, most of May looking at the what we're calling the enchanted creation, the idea that the material world was a designed to help us know God and B the material things that God has made um, are directly connected to the spiritual world, not just so, so, you know, the difference between um, symbol and metaphor is something we've talked about. Some Mm -hmm. like a metaphor is something where you like, you take a tree and you say, Oh, I'm going to use that as an illustration of something else that I'm imposing upon it as opposed to a symbol where it's, no, no, the tree actually was designed on purpose Mm. to teach you something, to show you something, to give you at least a shadow of something even greater that you're not ready for yet. And um, it kind of reminds me of what Chesterton said about sunrises. And then we can allow the ordinary to become repetitious and in a bad way, but maybe it's that you know, our father is younger than we, and he can see that sunrise every morning and go, mm-hmm. do it again. Yes, <laughs> right. Because, because of that eternal perspective, that heavenly perspective, this, mm-hmm. this idea that there are, well, I, like I said at the Imagination Redeemed conference last fall that, that you were at, there are no ordinary things. Yeah. It, it's, it, it might feel ordinary in the moment, but there are no ordinary things. There are things. no ordinary things. And there are things that I'm not good at having a good routine towards like our clean clothes will sit in a pile in my chair in our bedroom for a week. (laughs) And then I'm starting the next load and then the time. And so like, that's one that has never been like my best one that I've always been on top of, but we're cleaning tubs. I don't really enjoy that one either because I can never get it the way I want it to be. But I agree. Like it, I think Now I can one, be very idealistic. And I'm also, I think in many ways, a visionary and I'm married to someone who's also idealistic and very much a visionary. So sometimes I felt maybe naive in these feelings, but I also feel like this is who God's created me to be. And he keeps forming me to use it in different ways. But just that idea that you said that, that nothing has to be ordinary. I've worked at at trying to live that. Like dinner doesn't have to be ordinary. Sometimes it really does have to be ordinary, right? Because you're trying to get dinner in before you go to whatever is next. But I like, I was very inspired by Edith Schaefer in The Hidden Art. Like I can make dinner special, even if we're just having spaghetti or box macaroni and cheese, let's put on really good music and let's put on, a, let's get have candles, right? And let's make sure we're having good conversations. That doesn't mean that happens all the time, but it meant that I needed to be purposeful. Yeah, those little acts of war. As Ex- right, exactly. Say. And I think of myself and, I, and I'm hoping to write a book about this, so we'll see if 
that happens. We've got the ball rolling. And I've done a lot of writing and teaching about this idea of at creation, when God made the woman, he said, I'm going to make a helper fit for you. But that word helper is azer. And that word azer is the word that God used for himself in relationship to the Israelites. So this helper isn't like my when my girls were younger and would help me stir the cake. This is a helper that's your ally to the big work of the cultural mandate, right? And and Adam needed that helper like the Israelites needed God to do the work that God had called the Israelites to do. And so I so you can think of for me I I have worked through in my life that sometimes being an ally could be in the big things of life, right? Sometimes being an ally is in the very little things of life because I'm also being an ally not to how am I fulfilling the cultural mandate in my home? How am I being creative and cultivating and caretaking right here in the place God has given me and the people he's given me? I also am called to help them love the Lord their God with their heart, soul, and mind and to make disciples. So there's these big commandments that God has given us as his people. And I get to be an ally to my family and to my communities to help us do this beautiful thing that God's and hard thing that God's called us to do. So I have found that I want to be an ally many times in the small things. So that means little wars. That means purposeful things that seem small, like how are we going to have dinner together so that I can help my children learn how to have good conversations? right? What books am I going to read to my kids so I can be their ally to help them know what's what are good books? How am I going to train my children to be in church with me, knowing that they're little and they're going to want to rule, you know, be loud, but be their ally to help them grow so that they can learn the goodness of worship and also help our neighbors worship, you know? So I, I've tried to figure out in those little things, in those repetitions of life, that my work is wrapped up in being an ally in the cultural mandate and being creative and, I mean, it almost sounds so easier. ordinary. Yeah, I mean, it all sounds easier when you when you put it like that, or, or maybe not easier, maybe easier is the wrong word, but simpler in the sense of, as parents, we can put so much pressure on ourselves to, you know, to be perfect, to mm-hmm. produce the world-class children, whatever, and, mm. and can feel so guilty when things aren't turning out the way we hoped they would or the way that we think they ought to. But recognizing the the huge percentage of your value to your child is embodying something in the moment. Yeah. And it's not yeah. being perfect and it's not having the the best plan ever mm-hmm. for your children's education. And it's not, yeah, being a master at everything, but it's being there in the moment yeah. to to embody something that matters right. as best you can. Yeah. It's about mm-hmm. planting seeds too, mm-hmm. you know, that being that in the moment is that next, that seed that will hopefully be added to the other seeds that God will use in other ways, whether you help cultivate it or other people help cultivate it, the church in, isn't on it. Hopefully um, he's doing the work. So I, I love routines. I've not been very good though at routine since I've had cancer. And that's something that I've been wrestling <laughs> with God over because I want to have better routines of, um, 
of like, I've loved cooking. And I know some women, like I have friends who are like, I can't stand cooking. And I'm like, oh, I love cooking. I've loved cooking. I love, even if it's an ordinary meal or if it's a fun meal, that has always been life-giving to me. But since I've had cancer, like that now is only if I feel like the spark of creativity. I'm, I'll be like, oh, I feel like making that. And so, so Ned and I will, he'll help me in the kitchen more now because I just... Those ordinary things sometimes feel harder to do, and I don't know why. And that has been a struggle, especially even now I don't have tumors. Nothing. I should be doing life like I did pre-cancer, and I can't seem to get it together. So I feel like it's a, I don't know what it is. I'm (laughs) in the middle of, I don't know why, but I can't seem to get it together to keep a routine going the way I love to do it before. But the Lord is kind, and something will happen. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm I'm kind of wishing that I saved time to have a whole separate conversation about this, and I apparently didn't. But I do want to give you a chance to talk about the new book. Yeah. Um, so this is just recently out, Wild Things and Castles in the Sky. And the thing that struck me when I read it, which I wrote in my endorsement, is that there, there are a lot of books out there that that say they are about the Christian imagination, for example. And and then you read them and say, no, they're books about books. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're books about Christian novelists and yes. the things they wrote. Yes. Um, which are, that, that's great, but it is a little bit of a bait and switch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want the book on the imagination. I want the book on this, mm. this thing that we constantly underdefine, mm-hmm. underdevelop, and underutilize. Mm-hmm. And this book sort of builds itself as, well, I mean, the spine that says I, a guide to choosing the best books for children. But you never, you didn't lose sight of, of the mission of those mm. best books. So the thing that I saw and, and that I'm amazed that you were able to sustain across like 40 essays, yeah. 40 chapters, is that is the why. Mm. So so talk to me about where that project came from sure. and what the result is, because I okay. want people to read it. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, I've talked about, I, I talk about that a little bit in the book, but so does my daughter, Carrie. So Carrie, my oldest, is one of the co-editors. And then a dear friend who I actually haven't met in person yet, but she's one of our editors and a friend, Thea Rosenberg. So the three of us worked on it together, but it was my, it started off as my vision because I, again, I just love words and I love books. And when Carrie was two, I discovered that there was a humongous world of children's literature. I knew there was a lot of beautiful children's literature out there and I knew there was a history of it, but I didn't know how big it was. And we went to the library and we went to the kids section and she was two and I was trying to find things to do. So we're wandering around and I went to the A section of the children's picture books and I just picked out a bunch of different A books um, by the authors whose last names were A. And I just pulled out things that grabbed my attention. And that really was what started it. Like, and so we, re- we looked at those. I read them by myself. She's only two. So like, I don't know how much we really did. And we went back the next week and I went to the, maybe there's more A's. So I got more A's, but I worked my way through the alphabet. And by doing that, you end up finding out all the different styles, all the different illustrators and the writers who has more books, who doesn't have more books, who are the classics. And I also discovered this idea that I had 
had read from C.S. Lewis and Madeline Lingle um, before I'd even become a mom, just this idea that a well-written book that you want to give to your child, you as an adult need to enjoy it as well. Like if you're not enjoying that children's book, then maybe you shouldn't be giving it to your child. Yeah, that's Madeline Lingle. If it's not good enough for our children, it's not, or if it's not good enough for us, it's not good enough yes, for our children. Yes, exactly. And I love that. But I then, and it's legend in our family, but it is true and I share it with other people. I literally, if it was a bland book, my stomach got a knot in it. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to read that again. And talking about ritual and routine, you know how kids want to reread books over and over and over again. That is comfortable for them. They love it. They want that. I may or may not have accidentally dropped Brown Bear, Brown Bear down the back of the bookshelf. (laughs) Exactly. Right. So I did that to the one about like, the mother who loves her son and he grows up and she's always loving him. Guess how much oh, I love, love you, you or something. Oh yeah. Love you forever. Yeah. <laughs> I hated that book and I felt like a heretic because everyone seemed to sure, love that right. book. But, um, so that was the beginning of me learning in a, in a bigger way, the beauty of books and words and pictures for children and that I wanted to enter into it. And so it kind of also became my hobby. I also knew that as a child, or no more as a teenager, how much, and this makes me sad, but God works his ways in us, how much my imagination and my heart and how I felt about myself was so formed by the magazines I read, like I read Seventeen Magazine and Vogue and Elle. I mean, they were very sophisticated, but holy cow, that did awful things for how I viewed myself and viewed the world and viewed what beauty was. But I also read like some of them were decent. Like I did read Ma- some Mal Lingle, you know, books that she wrote for that were marketed towards teenagers, but I also read a lot of just silly dating books, like about girls, you know, dating boys. And that also really have influenced me to want certain things and to love a certain way of what life should look like. And so intuitively, and whether I did, so I would say together, I wanted something different for my girls, of course. So I knew what had formed me in many ways. I knew the things that I had done to pivot away from it. Like I then, as I got older, like Brideshead Revisited became the first classic I read by myself that my teacher didn't tell me to read. Um, I did actually pick it because um, Jeremy Irons was on the cover from the Masterpiece Theater. So I really picked it because the guys on the cover were cute. But I read... Evelyn was Brideshead Revisited, and I got through it. And then I decided that I would read it once every decade. Like, that would be my once every decade book. So I learned, I started changing how I chose books for, because I knew what it was doing to me, the good, what good could do and what what bad could do. Right. And it's not just a matter of like the, the sort of puritanical edifying things that you don't enjoy, but that you know are good for you. No, it's no, about, it's about right. things that, that you, you feel totally different when you're, yeah. when you're done reading like, them. Even though I didn't always understand everything that was going on in Broadside Revisited, I loved what was going on in my mind, yeah. what stories I was seeing in my mind while I was reading it. And, um, another, I can't remember all of them, but like To Kill a Mockingbird and how I just couldn't put it down. Like I was discovering 
what it meant to really like really enjoyable books or even just Agatha Christie. You know, it didn't have to be the big classic. It's good for you type of thing. So this to get to our book, Wild Things, as the girls were growing up, I part of it could have been out of fear. But the other part was. I want to give you goodness because I know you are formed by your imagination. When James K. Smith came out with his books, I'm like, oh, good. Someone smarter than me is writing big books about things that I was trying to figure out on my own. Um, But sometimes I felt like on my own when I was working through these things that maybe I'm also crazy. Like maybe I'm just puritanical or crazy because I was like, can we just watch like, you know, Jane Austen movies and not watch Disney. Like, wouldn't that be better for us and our hearts and our imagination? But then I felt crazy, like a crazy homeschooler. But along the way, I realized, (laughs) no, there's probably good in this. That is also not to say that I don't love pop things because Need to Breathe is my favorite band. But we had a wide variety of things that we loved, but I did try to give them beautiful things. So when it came to this book, I'm driving in the car and I don't know why I thought about it, but I started thinking about people I knew like in cultivating and in the rabbit room. And I thought about what would I want to write about, about books? And I didn't think I could do it because I thought other people had done it enough. Like Sarah McKenzie's Read Aloud Revival. Like, wow. Also, I didn't know I could have made that into my career. That could have been really fun. (laughs) I would have loved that. But I had had fun telling people, moms, try this book, try this book. You know, I had a couple in my metaphorical back pocket of if your child doesn't like to read, try Anthony Horowitz's, um, my love, this brain just, I can't remember what it's called anymore. Alex Ryder books. Try mm. the Alex Ryder books because they're super fun. And I found that kids who aren't big readers, that those books help them more than even like Harry Potter or something. Harry Potter is a terrible reading starter because you don't want to read anything else for like a month afterwards. It's so true. At least for my kids, that's very true. So honestly, I just started playing around in my mind. I think I would want Matthew Clark to write about this or this person could write about this. And then I thought I could actually do this. I'm a partner in a book publishing company and we are, we love books about essays. And we had already done a book about books called Hearts, a book for hearts and minds, which is a celebration book for Byron Borger and Beth Borger of the bookstore hearts and minds. So I thought, oh, I could follow that format. And it just went from there. I asked Carrie to help me because she teaches four-year-olds and she loves books, especially children's books like I do. And then I asked Thea because she has a blog about children's books, which is to me just a delightful blog to be on. So my goal was, my other goal was that, okay, I want to back up. So can we like rewind that little part? I really, as we have talked about, I really believe that stories are so important, like for who we are. We're formed by stories. We're formed by stories as a community and we're formed by stories as individuals. And like, you can't miss it when you're reading the Chronicles of Narnia. Like Lewis is planting that seed in almost every book, you know, like from Edmund and Peter having that conversation about the red bird and Edmund saying, 
how do you know we should be following this bird? It might be a bad guy. And Peter's saying, no, in all the stories, the bird, the red birds are the good guys, you know, and, but to bigger things like Eustace and he never read stories. So he didn't even know when he came to a dragon. He just liked to read informational books about, you know, children doing exercises in other parts of the world. So I always, I love that about Lewis, that he saw how, and he could point to us how stories form us. But I, and so I would talk a lot about that with parents and with my kids when I was teaching at a classical school. And the stories don't even have to be books. They're like, what video game are you playing? What billboard are you looking at all the time? The billboards, you know, the commercials. We're, we are inundated with some form of story. But if God also is a storyteller and all of the ways he teaches us truth is in this big arc of a story, words just matter. And like, I just always have it in me that I want people to live that, you know? And so getting to do this book was a way, another way to live that out, to be able to pull together other people who cared about the other same thing. Because also I can't know everything about all the books, you know, like, I don't know what Books about scientists maybe might be a good book for you to read or stories about things in science because I don't lean in that direction. And I thought I need to find people who have the passion or the expertise to bring that out to share. So that's kind of where it came from, that just love for myself and for my community. I wanted to share that. And also... I love classical education and I love Charlotte Mason ideas, but not everybody in my life, they don't. I, my sure. best friend teaches at a public school and she teaches literature and she has given me so much, but her, her place in the world is a different direction than mine. But I see what she's offered the world and I want to... I want what she's given the world, even though it's in a public school setting, I want other people to get from that, just as I want other people to get the beauty of different ideas from like, say, Charlotte Mason. And so I wanted this book to also be a picture of God's big kingdom. You know, like we're all fighting about race and politics and there's so much disunity within the church. But what does God say? What did Jesus say to us that they're going to know we're Christians because we love each other and that we're unified? And so I kind of wanted that book to be that because my wheelhouse is, can we just talk about Shakespeare? Or not that I'm a Shakespeare expert, but I like that. Or let me talk about poetry. But there are, gonna, there are women in this book who are women of color who have experienced what it looks like to not be taken seriously because of their skin color and to have grown up not having found as many books with characters who are like them. And I've always loved books that picture books and gave picture books to my kids about people from different cultures and of different colors and backgrounds. And, and I wanted a book that was about that, but wasn't making it the flag. Right. I want the flag to be imagination and story, and we need to offer this big feast to our kids. And we need to help our kids love others without us making it a big poster on the wall. I don't know. Does that make mm, sense? Yeah. I want it to be because 
look, we're going to the library and look at these good books that we're finding. There are places where you do need to be intentional, right? We do need to have those purposeful conversations, but I wanted it to be a picture of God's big, beautiful kingdom. So that's my book. Well, I love the results and it encouraged me. So Wild Things and Castles in the Sky, you should all go buy it. Leslie, thanks for spending time with me. Thank you for having me. I wish we budgeted two hours instead of one. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And for all of you, we will see you next time.